you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi everyone, welcome to the Well Endowed podcast brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation and a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. I'm Andrew Paul, and today I'm joined by Nick Diaz, who will be filling in for Elizabeth while she's away on holidays. Welcome to the show, Nick. Wonderful to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you fit into uh, the Edmonton Community Foundation? Absolutely. So I started at the Edmonton Community Foundation a few months ago, and I'm a member of our grants team. So I get to see all of the wonderful applications from charities, and I get to help coordinate awards for students to make sure they have funding for their schooling. Prior to that, I helped coordinate legislation at the legislature. Uh, I've organized large events, and I've advocated for students and a whole bunch of other small jobs. Well, it's really good to have you on the show guest hosting uh, this week. And since we're on the topic of your resume, what is the longest job that you've ever worked at? Uh, When I was at the legislature, that was two years. So just two years. Right. I think this job at ECF has been my longest going on eight years now. Uh, but what if I told you that Liz O'Neill is marking 40 years as the executive director of Boys and Girls Club Big Brothers Big Sisters of Edmonton? That's a long time. That's longer than I've been alive. So, so impressive. Yeah, that's also longer than I've been alive. Like, I, I can't even wrap my head around <laughs> that, uh, which is crazy to think about. But Boys and Girls Club Big Brothers Big Sisters of Edmonton is an organization dedicated to the healthy development of children and their families. And they do that through things like mentorship programs and after-school programming. And the impact that BCG Bigs has had on the community has grown exponentially under Liz's leadership over the last 40 years. When Liz took the helm, the organization had just one and a half staff members, just herself and a part-time employee. And together they oversaw services for 24 clients with a budget of around 36000 Now today, the BCG Bigs supports 5,700 kids. That's 5700 with 125 employees and an annual budget of $7.6 million. And we should also mention that Liz has a pretty special connection to Edmonton Community Foundation as she served on our board uh, twice, Uh, not consecutive terms, I don't think, but uh, we have had the privilege of working very close uh, with her in her volunteer capacity as well, which is very cool. And is also one of the reasons why we sent our correspondent, Caitlin Crawshaw, to sit down with Liz to chat about how it was the fluke of a coin toss that brought Liz to Edmonton in the first place, and about her greatest accomplishments over the past 40 years, and what those accomplishments have meant to the children and their families who use BCG Big Services. Hi everyone, I'm Caitlin Crawshaw and I'm here today with Liz O'Neill, Executive Director of Boys and Girls Club's Big Brothers Big Sisters also known as BGC Bigs, which offers mentoring and after-school programs for kids and young adults. Thanks, Caitlin, for inviting me today. Well, thanks for being here. Um, So, Liz, I understand that this June will mark four decades in the organization for you. True story. 40 years. That's Isn't that absolutely amazing? Yes. Yes, it is. It's... uh, I was thinking today about uh, this interview and and what's changed over those 40 years. And it's really fair to say some things have and some things have not. Yeah, so I'd like to chat with you uh, lots more about how uh, changes you've seen to the organization and the nonprofit sector, as well as your own career. But to start off with, can you tell our listeners a little bit um, about how BGC Bigs helps young people in our community? Absolutely. 
Um, so BGC Biggs works with about 5,600 children in Edmonton. And really, we provide two services. Um, one is um, the uh, recruitment, screening, training, and support of mentors, so healthy adults and kids' lives. Um, and uh, the second is around safe after-school programming uh, for children in impoverished neighborhoods. And we have 19 sites that run um, every day um, across the city. And while those services seem so very, very simple, for our kids, they're essential. Um, moms and dads knowing that their kids have a safe place to go after school who may not have the funding resources to be able to pay for that kind of support. And kids knowing that there's a place to do homework and get some um, good nutrition. And in some of our sites, we, we do a hot meal in the evenings and then also be able to get some language support if they're new immigrant or refugee kids. Um, and then also just to be kids and to have some fun. And then in terms of um, families also knowing that they can call the agency and we can um, recruit and screen and support a volunteer mentor to be involved in a kid's life. Mm, that's pretty amazing. What does that mentorship tend to look like? Well, there's all kinds of great citizens in our community who step up. First of all, Edmonton has the largest number of mentors in Canada. Wow. That's a pretty amazing statement to make. As I always remind our colleagues in Toronto and Vancouver and elsewhere in the country, um, Edmontonians are very much roll-up-our-sleeves um, um, citizens, um, come together and get the job done. And so our mentors come in all different kinds of forms. There are mentors who are um, helping our kids that are in care who've um, grown up. Um, transitioning from, you know, maybe one group home or one foster um, care environment and uh, making sure that there's somebody who's in their lives, um, who's there, their champion, their friend. Some continuity. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and our foster parents and, you know, people in the community, they're doing their very, very best. But kids need um, those extra supports. And so good citizens, as I said, step up and do that. There's also mentors who help kids with a specific um, project. So that project might be literacy development, or it might be learning how to participate in the classroom. Um, so that instead of finding yourself in a situation where um, you're worried and you don't feel that you um, fit in and you don't have that sense of belonging, um, volunteers are able to help kids so that the next thing you know, they've got their hand up and they're saying, no, no, I, I think I can answer that question. And then we also have a large group of teenagers in our city who are playing a major leadership role, who are in high school, who are helping kids with transitioning from junior high to high school. Um, and oh, all, yeah, isn't that wonderful? A, that can be a very challenging transition. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just to know that, that you have someone that's going to look out for you um, is so very, very important. Lots of our families don't have networks. And because they don't have networks of, you know, aunties and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters, um, it makes being part of a family a lot more difficult. And so in many ways, we create these new families of, mm -hmm. of citizens uh, being there for kids. So I recall that you are from Toronto originally. And when we spoke for the Legacy in Action story, you told me that Edmonton was an unexpected destination for you. I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners how it was that you ended up here. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And thank you for remembering it. Um, and so my husband, um, his family was born and raised here in Alberta. Um, they're from St. Paul, Alberta, and um, Edmonton has been their home for, you know, over 100 years. And Jer and I met, and then we decided um, to get married. And I honestly thought that um, 
the flipping of a coin, that seemed a fair way because I wanted to stay in Toronto and Jer wanted to stay in Edmonton. And so we had declared uh, three coin flips out of five. Um, <laughs> and uh, Lord and behold, I moved to Edmonton. I think that's amazing. Uh, it is. It is. <laughs> we'd make one of the most important decisions of their lives that way, but it turned out okay. Jerry and I have been married 40 years. Yeah. Um, and um, I've been in my role at Biggs um, for 40 years. So you got married the same year that you moved here. That's right. Um, I, wow. it, I got married in January, and I started with um, uh, what was then Big Sisters um, in June. And it's interesting because people always say to Jer that he is the person who migrated and I must be the born and bred. And, of course, it's totally reversed. But um, So what was it about that opportunity, that first, your first job in Edmonton with, with Big Sisters that appealed to you? Well, there was so much about it, um, Caitlin. The, um, you know, it was a not-for-profit organization. And 40 years ago, not-for-profits um, were the new inspiration for innovation. I had actually left a job with um, the government of Canada and then applied for a position with um, what was then Big Sisters. And um, I'm from a large family. I have nine brothers and sisters. And in so many ways, it just seemed fitting to me that people would come together to help kids be successful um, in life. And so I applied. I joined the agency. And um, there were 24 kids in the program, and our budget was $36,500. not amazing? Because <laughs> today there's 5,600 kids in the program, and our budget is $7.9 million. Oh, my God. And so I have seen such massive change over those years. But what I'm proudest um, is that um, of the citizens of our community and their, mm -hmm. their way of coming together um, to do the heavy lifting so that kids can be successful. So in June, I guess, I'm assuming beginning of the month will be 40 years. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how the organization has changed since you took the helm in 1979, right? I did. That's a big question. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> no, no. You know, there are some things that have changed and some things that have not. Um, I mean, governance and accountability um, and structures and systems and processes um, there's far more of that today than there was then, and volume. Um, and as we have, you know, um, not-for-profit organizations have grown up in the community, we've learned that there are more systems and more you know, um, structures and accountability and processes that are, that are needed in order for us to be successful, in order for us to make sure kids are safe. Um, and then we have more money, so there's more due diligence, there's more stewardship. The board, um, 40 years ago, was really about um, hands-on, and they ran the bingos and the casinos and, and, and raised the money. And today, the board is very much about governance, owning the vision, making sure that systems are in place, making sure that due diligence is managed and managed appropriately, making sure that um, the citizens' dollars, the contributions that are made of people, are spent the way we promised to spend them. Um, so that's changed, um, but those are really important things for us. What hasn't changed is the basic need, and that is that all children need to grow up in environments where people care about them. And all children need to be able to have champions who are their cheerleaders. And I can tell you that for our kids that um, um, who live with their moms or their dads, um, those moms and dads are trying to do their very, very best for their kids and need those extra support so that um, children who 
quite frankly, come from poverty, who are struggling, um, who may not have the networks um, of family that they need, um, so that those kids can be successful as well. And so there are kids, our community's kids, and uh, that hasn't changed. The numbers are larger because more people know about the service and the city is bigger. Um, but that basic fundamental belief that we look out for each other as Edmontonians, that we take care of each other, um, that hasn't changed at all. Mm-hmm. Well, um, just to explain to our listeners, um, BGC Biggs has gone through two big mergers. We have. I we don't have. think we explained that earlier. So, so, um, so again, a first for Edmonton, um, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, um, 1990, did its first merger. Um, of a Big Brother, Big Sister agency that had been discrete organizations. And so there were Big Brother, Big Sister agencies that grew up together, but in some of the larger centers like Edmonton, Toronto, um, Calgary, um, the agencies grew up separately. And so we did the first merger of a Big Brother, Big Sister agency in 1990. Um, And then we did the first merger of a Boys and Girls Club, Big Brother, Big Sister agency in the world. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, nobody's ever done it before. And to this day, nobody's ever done it before. Um, eight years ago, the two boards of directors of Boys and Girls and Big Brothers Big Sisters came together. They asked themselves a question, what could we do together better than we are currently doing alone? And um, they decided that together we could actually serve more kids. Um, we could uh, um, offer a broader continuum of services. And uh, the boards asked the two EDs, of which I was one, if we would go make that happen. Um, and we worked with the board and the staff, and uh, eight years ago, um, July 1st this year, um, we, uh, we merged the two agencies. Wow. So that has not happened anywhere Nowhere else, else in Canada. Nowhere else. And I think, again, it speaks about Edmontonians, because I think we're less about structure and we're more about mission and vision. Um, and I think that we're less about um, what's in it for me as opposed to what's in it for us. And so I think it just speaks to the to the DNA and the culture of this community. Hmm. How interesting. So in 40 years, I'll bet you've seen a lot of kids and youth go through. I sure have. These programs. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about some of the ways you've seen kids and families benefit from the programs? Last year, a young woman came to see me. Her name's Carol. Um, she was the first child I ever matched. Oh, wow. And so here we were, 39 years later, and so she was now 49 years old. And her and her big sister, Marguerite, who had moved to Victoria, um, were here in Edmonton, and they came to see me. And and I remember when Carol's dad phoned um, and asked for help. His wife had died, Carol's mom had passed away, and he did not know how to turn right or left without her. Most of us would go through that in life. Mm. Um, But he wanted to make sure that his daughter had the supports that she needed. And so Marguerite was recruited and screened and trained. and, And they are together 39 years later. And Carol is this wonderful, confident woman Um, who now has her own family um, and her own children and is a volunteer in the county of Strathcona in a number of of projects um, and contributes back to the community because of the very gifts that she was given. I have had the privilege of being part of many, many, many graduations of kids who never thought it would happen for them. Um, moms and dads who never thought it would happen. Moms and dads who've said to us, um, that's the first person in our family that's ever graduated from high school. 
But we've also had the privilege of watching um, and being part of young people graduating from college and university. You can just imagine for for them and for their families um, what a difference that makes in terms of what's possible for them in life. Um, we've had kids who came from families where drug abuse and alcohol are addictions, and that doesn't just happen in poor families. It happens in all kinds of families. And today are, are not using, um, are, um, are clean, have full-time jobs. Um, we've watched um, families that had been on social assistance. Um, in fact, I can tell you that a recent study tells us that um, the, there are more little sisters and big sisters per capita in Canada who never went on social assistance in their adult years than the general population. Oh, wow. um, and That's so exactly, there's just many, many amazing things for kids. We know that more kids with a big brother or big sister have graduated from um, from school and stayed in school. We know that uh, more kids have good peer relationships. We know that um, less kids are um, have turned to alcohol, tobacco, or or drugs. So we know kids are doing better as a result of. But we see the same thing in the clubs. There are lots of kids um, who live in the neighborhoods, and they come to the, to the clubs after school um, five days a week and get those extra supports and build those friendships with staff and volunteers so that when um, they're in the wrong peer group or when there's the possibility of something going wrong, that they know they've got people they can go to and that they trust um, and they can ask for support. And when they get into trouble... Um, we also don't turn our back on the kids. We take those teaching moments and try to make sure that we get their families in and we get them the right supports in the right way. And it's one of the reasons that we have so many partnerships. We turn to the Family Center every day and we ask for help mm. because the Family Center has a, a continuum of services that we don't have. And so we work together. We turn to Bantero Traditional Healing Society with our Indigenous families. Um, we turn to Edmonton Mennonite Center for our immigrant families. And again, it's one of the blessings of Edmonton is that we all work together so that families can access a whole continuum of services, even though they might have just called our number um, and or just called the Mennonite Center number. And then they can call us. And so we we see how families can be supported in a way that's very wholesome. So four decades is a long time. It is. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> but what's made you stick around for four decades? You know, I've had the privilege of having the best boards of directors. So those are the people that I work for. Um, they're my bosses. And I can honestly say to you that there has never been a day in my life in these 40 years where I didn't want to do this. Um, when you have that kind of support of champions in a community who care deeply about the kids of this community, um, who are there every day, you know, we can get this done. They dream so large. Um, and they made sure that the resources were there in order that those dreams could come alive. And then I have this staff team, and I have staff that have been with me 20, 25 years, um, and, um, and staff who've retired over the last five years who've been with us 30, 35 years. Um, and so when, when you have that kind of support, wonderful staff um, that make it all possible, because they're the ones who do the heavy lifting, I get an awful lot of credit for a lot of things that, my God, if those folks weren't there, this would never have happened. But when you have that, and you've got board, and you've got the kind of funders we have in this community, and then you've got moms and dads who trust you, 
And then you've got kids whose lives are forever, ever changed um, with greater confidence and greater hope for the future. My God, everybody should have the privilege of having a job like that. I've been very blessed. So when we chatted for the article, um, we talked a little bit about how you kind of grew up with the organization. I did. The organization was growing. It was 1979, and um, your second career job, it sounds like. But it also seems like you've seen Edmonton's nonprofit sector grow up as well. And you've also seen the Edmonton Community Foundation change a lot as well. Um, And you've been on the board of directors for two terms. I have been. Of six years. Each term. term. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about why you chose to be involved that way? Because, I mean, obviously you're very busy. As the as the head of a, a large nonprofit, um, so why did you choose to volunteer volunteer your time that way? Well, you're right. I've had the privilege of serving um, twice um, on the board of directors, and so twelve years in total. And so it has been for me. When I think about the foundation and how it has changed, I mean, even just being in this beautiful new building um, that the foundation built um, in order to uh, make sure that it had a permanent home its own legacy to be here for for our community and for for the citizens of our community. I've always felt that the Community Foundation in Edmonton was really the charitable sector's foundation. Um, It's the place that we've always been able to come to when we didn't know where to turn. So I don't mean just coming for money. Um, I mean being able to come for guidance, being able to talk about community issues, and we just don't know what to do about them. Being able to come to people um, who would bring other people together um, to be able to help us talk through the challenges, talk through the worries. Um, Being able to know that um, the Foundation's been here to help us figure out solutions. One of the great gifts of the Foundation is that they know that in working with our citizens, that we're not going to get it right all the time. And they have never turned their back on something that didn't get it right. They've been able to help us right the way. They've allowed us to be honest with them about the fact that you bought this, you funded this, um, but we've been into it a year and a half now, and we're not sure our path was the correct path. And um, there's no punitive behavior. It's very much about then let's sit, let's sort through, let's get you the support that you need in order that we can get you some expertise, that we can figure out the next, um, you know, turn on the, uh, on the road. Um, and, and there aren't a lot of um, people who play that role in our community. And so the foundation, um, when I was asked if I would serve, there was no question that I would want to do that because um, the DNA, the culture of our Edmonton Community Foundation um, is just so important to our ability to do our job. Um, certainly the money that also the foundation has and that it invests in the community is extremely important to us. And they're the community translators and community interpreters, if I could describe them that way. Because often we'll get a call from the foundation and the donor has said, yes, we would like to give some money to BGC Biggs. And then when we've asked, how did this wonderful thing happen? We learned that a staff person from the foundation um, was meeting with a family and interpreted and translated some of the work going on in the community. Um, And then the family was able to say, then I want to support that. So these conduits for us make it possible for us to do our job. So I've been very honest, honored to, to be um, um, part of the foundation. 
Could you tell us a little bit about how you've seen Edmonton's nonprofit sector change mm-hmm. since you since you began? I again have been very fortunate um, to be involved in so many overarching umbrella types of groups um, who've come together in this community in order that we can do our best work um, for our citizens. Um, We've grown in terms of number of agencies. We've grown in terms of um, numbers of um, dollars that have been invested in. We've grown in terms of number of staff. But Edmonton is different um, than other communities, and people tell us this all the time. My friends um, often in other parts of Canada will kind of glaze over when I talk about partnerships. And I think that's one of the most significant changes that has happened in our community. We don't do our work alone. It really is about the fact that we as not-for-profits work together in order to get the job done on behalf of our families and with our families. And you can call any agency in town. And, and people will be there for you. They will make that a priority. That is not a question for them. And I think that's really significant because our families don't live in silos. And so sometimes there's a whole continuum of support that they need. Um, and you can't get that from one place. And so as a result of people working closely together and caring together and worrying together, families then are able to get those multi things that they need in order to be successful. When we look at the not-for-profit sector, um, the way that we look out for each other, um, it's not helpful in our community if BGC Biggs, for example, um, gets um, all the wins in the grant applications and other agencies don't. The fact of the matter is we need to do this together. We need to, to recognize and stay focused on the fact that this isn't about us as organizations, this is about our community, this is about our families. I think the other thing about um, the Edmonton not-for-profit sector is that there are many issues that happen in a community. And um, the fact that we can come together and plan um, and work through and work with. We have a group of agencies in Edmonton called C5. That's five community organizations that work together. Um, to do their very, very best on a broad base of families in the community. Um, We have umbrella groups of organizations who are involved in early childhood education and after-school care for kids. Um, And those organizations through REACH, um, I think there's about 35 of them, working together on behalf of families. And so, yes, we've we've grown, um, but we also know that Less of our services are delivered by government today, and more of our services are contracted to not-for-profit organizations um, and to the charitable sector. And so while we've grown in size, we've also grown in intentionality and focus um, and organizations working together on behalf of our community. How do you see um, the city's nonprofit sector changing over the next four years? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, because this is always evolving. Right. Um, I think that um, the um, if we can continue with our intentionality and continue with our focus um, and continue um, working together, that we're in it together, then no matter what happens, I think then we'll find the right solutions in the right way. Um, Edmonton is a very generous community. As I said earlier, the Community Foundation and its ability to connect with and then interpret and translate the needs of our community um, does such an important job. Our provincial government and our municipal government, our United Way, um, other community foundations, Dollary Foundation, Matart Foundation, they all play such an important role um, in what happens in this community. 
And that collective of funders um, are looking out for um, the agencies because they're looking out for, for the families. They're looking out for the community. And they know that we're that middle group that helps get that job done. So I think that the sector will change, will continue to change. Um, but I think that will change with intentionality and focus around the outcomes we're trying to achieve in our community. What do you think is the, um, the future for BGC Biggs? Well, I think um, good hard work, continuing on to, to support our families, and uh, we've got an amazing staff. In Alberta, we've been able to create something called the Alberta Mentoring Partnership, um, which has really allowed more citizens to get involved in kids' lives. Um, we have been working nationally to um, create the Canadian Mentoring Partnership, and I think we've, we've got some real traction there that we're going to be able to do that. Um, I think that we're certainly interested in the fact that our city has grown and there are um, neighborhoods that need the services. Um, I often get calls from communities and from schools who say, hello, we're over here. Um, we really need help and support. Um, so there'll probably be some growth in, the, in that. I think as long as um, our citizens are always there and step up and, and are those wonderful people um, who are there for kids, um, kids will continue to do better. Kids will finish school. Um, kids will get to have a, a career and, and, and good jobs and then contribute back to community. And if we can be part of making that happen, then we've, we've done well. So after 40 years with the organization, it sure looks like you are not slowing down at all. <laughs> <laughs> can you actually imagine retirement, what it would look like and like what it would be like to actually, like I don't know, I guess pass on the torch one day? Well, we have great people to pass the torch on to, and um, and so I have no worries on that end. Um, and yes, I can actually see retirement. <laughs> I have a lot of friends. We're all the same age um, in the not-for-profit sector, a group of friends of us, and we're all trying to figure out, okay, so now, are you going or are you going? Because <laughs> let's not all go on the same month. Um, <laughs> oh, I am, yes, I suppose that's not very strategic. No, that's right. I'm around for a couple more years. Um, there are a couple of things I want to see through. Um, but um, I know for sure that whatever I do, um, I will be very much part of our community. I, right now, my priority is our young leaders and being able to make sure that they have the supports that they need in order that they can develop and that they have the networks that they need. I've had the privilege of having all the networks one would possibly ever, ever need, and that's why I think our, you know, I'm still here because so many people have stepped up over these last 40 years to be there for us um, and for me. And I want to make sure that our young leaders um, have that same privilege. A long time ago, um, two women in our community, both um, one no longer lives here and one has passed away, and uh, names were Betty Hughes and uh, Jean Forrest. Um, and quite frankly, I will always remember the day that I was at uh, the convention center, um, and we were in a parking lot, and they turned to me and said, it's your turn now. And I knew exactly what they meant because they had been there for me. And so that whole concept of having mentors in your lives. And so when I retire, that's the role I'll play in community, um, making sure that young people have a place to turn so that they can have those quiet conversations, so that they can have the kinds of support that they need. Because I am who I am because I had that. Thanks so much for being here with us today, Liz, and for all of your contributions to the community. And congratulations on your 40th anniversary with BGC Pigs. Thanks so very, very much. And, um, and again, I've been honored to serve in our community. I'm really lucky to be part of our community. Thank you. Thanks to Caitlin Crosshaw for bringing us that story. 
And thanks to Liz O'Neill for sharing her time with us. I absolutely loved hearing about her career, especially the insights into the many people and organizations supporting Edmontonians. I especially appreciated the way that her work uh, helped individuals and their even their close community, but also how a network of service providers were able to bring uh, substantial support to individuals and their communities. All right, listeners, before we go, we need to let you know about the ECF Community Grants. These grants are for charitable organizations and can provide up to $40,000 to support a variety of initiatives and needs. That's right. These grants have been used to begin new initiatives, uh, provide operating funding, hire new staff, uh, expand programs, support existing programs, and so much more. Check out our website for details on what can be funded. The deadline to apply for this cycle is June 1st, and we do four applications per year. Yeah, those community grants are super flexible, which is, I think, why so many people apply for them. So make sure to get uh, your applications in early and uh, run it through Grammarly or something uh, before you file it. (laughs) And the sooner you apply, the better, because then we can give you feedback before uh, it goes to the final submission. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listeners, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you so much, Nick, for sitting down in the guest host chair. It was my pleasure. And uh, listeners, if you have time, please share this episode with your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews are a big help. And be sure to follow us on Facebook. Thanks for hanging out with us. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul. And Nick Diaz. Until Until next time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.